Good morning, everyone. You may have um, read in the newsletter that Pastor Rob Heyman was preaching today. But he's not. <laughs> so he's unwell. Uh, so I have the privilege of bringing the word to you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is James. And uh, been coming to Sale Baptist Church now for many, many years. Many years. Um, but there'd be quite a few people I, I think I haven't met. But it's my privilege to bring the word this morning. And I'm preaching from, uh, from Philippians. And uh, I like to usually take a little bit of a theme, you know. And this morning I want to talk about just the privilege that the gospel is for us. It's such a privilege that we have to be able to come really before the word of God and uh, receive the word of God, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then enact in our lives what God teaches us. So let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to lead us and to guide us and to receive the word today. Father, thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you, to read your word, to preach your word, to share your word, unlike so many places. Father, this morning we want to hear your word and not just be hearers, but be doers. So, Father, I pray that as we receive your word, we'll take the specific things you have for each one of us. Uh, and that might be different from one to another, but that each one of us here today would take something from your word and would commit to it this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I want to read from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And I think, it's, think we're going to be up on screen. Excellent. I can't read it from there. What version is it? I might, I might have to read it from there because it'll be different from mine. <laughs> Excuse my back. <laughs> so in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I've more. Circumcised the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith." My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. So I'm sure we've read Philippians many times over our walk and uh, are no doubt very familiar, hopefully familiar with those verses that we're looking at today. But, you know, when I was um, a younger Christian, I actually wasn't a big fan of these verses, I have to confess. They worried me. It was, seemed to me the theme was, rejoice, but suffer. And while suffering, rejoice. So basically, share in the suffering of Jesus and rejoice. So needless to say, I carefully avoided those verses for a long time because I didn't understand them. Intellectually, I, I understood the concept that Paul was trying to get at here. You know, that he wanted to know Christ and be found in him and to know the power of his resurrection. And that's a really important phrase to, to keep hold of and to keep in our mind. But oh, that sharing in the suffering of Jesus, that kind of... I didn't really like that. I, I was brought up as a Catholic. And, and as, a, as a Catholic, we were pretty good at that. Um, we, we had a term even... and. I really thank God for the upbringing that I had in terms of uh, a, a reverential um, fear of the awe of God, a respect for the name of Jesus, a reverence for God. Um, but there were so many other things after I got saved and, um, and got more into the word of God, you know, I began to understand that it's not about what we do, it's about who we are in Christ. And uh, so... There, there was a, a common term that was used uh, in the Catholic Church, and I'm sure in some other churches as well, was redemptive suffering. I'm just I'm suffering for Jesus, and it never really, I never really liked that concept. And I'll go into that a little bit more and talk about what does that really mean. Uh, well, I just yeah, I avoided it for a while. And unfortunately, um, a lot of Christians today don't really understand what Paul was really saying at, saying in these verses as well. But if we look at it closely, um, he's, he's uh, not only commanding us, yeah, it's, it's a command to rejoice. He's not saying it's good to rejoice. He's saying rejoice. He's telling us we need to be rejoicing. And uh, we'll go into some detail about why that's a good thing to do and, and how we can actually do it. But Paul was also saying that, um, well, let me put it this way, my, uh, my understanding of Paul also was that he was just a, a zealous thug who, who passionately persecuted Christians. And what I didn't understand was that he actually was passionately pursuing righteousness. His understanding of righteousness to the very best of his ability, according to what he was taught and, and how he was brought up. And that's why he was saying in those verses there, if anyone you know, was deserved to be called righteous, uh, 
he was the living example. And he starts off, as we read in the verses there, telling us to rejoice. But he also says he actually doesn't mind reminding us of these same things because it's a safeguard for us. So that should be a little bit of a trigger for us, saying if he doesn't mind reminding us of that and it's a safeguard, what's the safeguard? So, and we'll talk about that as well. But I think it's actually really relevant for today. There's always an inherent danger that, that once we are saved, um, we can go back to relying on works for our progress or as we progress. Now, spiritual disciplines are really, really valuable and it's good to develop good habits, prayer, reading the word, but these actually don't get us into heaven. Only faith in Christ alone is sufficient. And this is what Paul is really trying to get at here. Well, notice what he had to say about this and why he emphasised this when he, he immediately then launches into, and I thought it was really strange, you know, rejoice, it's good that I'm reminding you of this, you need to hear this, Be, and then he says, beware of the dogs. I thought, what on earth is he talking about? Why does he go down that path? Why does he emphasise that? Well, he was warning the church about professing Christians who came over to Christianity but then kept their Jewish traditions and demanded that the new converts, um, including the Gentiles, take up some Jewish practices. These so-called dogs, that, that Paul called them, held the view that you didn't really belong to Jesus unless you were circumcised, even after you had confessed Jesus. And Paul preached that you believe on Jesus, we're baptised, we receive the Holy Spirit, we belong. We belong to Jesus. But here they are, and there was this group of people who were following him after people were converted, and they're saying, no, in fact, you don't really belong quite yet. It's good where you're going, but uh, you haven't got this Jewish mark this was highly offensive to Paul and he saw that it was really the thin edge of the wedge. If you go back to this practice, then you're relying on something else for righteousness and not Christ alone. And so we'll be going back to the law and the rules of men for our righteousness. And if we're bound by these rules and laws, it's really hard to rejoice and that's what Paul's really getting at, that the real joy comes from knowing Christ and relying on him alone. If we go back to our laws and our rules, then what happens is we start to take pride in what we're actually doing. And we take more pride in that than we do take joy in what Jesus has done for us. And remember, it's good that we have um, spiritual disciplines, but to take pride in them and then rely on that for our progression uh, or as, as our salvation, that's where the danger is. Um, so what, what do we do today that we take pride in, I guess, is a good question to ask. And, and uh, you know, towards our own righteousness or, or towards our sense of staying righteous. 
And I think that's one of the dangers that the enemy leads us into is into doing things so that we stay righteous. We are only ever righteous in Christ through his mercy and his grace. Is it our attention to the word? Is it our prayer life? Our perception that we're living a godly life? It's good that we do, but we can't be taking pride in it. And that is not what wins us salvation. It helps to mature us and helps us to, to continue to follow Christ, but that's not what gets us our salvation. And the minute we take pride in our behaviours, our patterns, our religious rules, um, that's when we lose the perspective of what it actually means to be righteous. It's like one step forward, professing Christ, and then two steps back, relying on more on ourselves rather than his word, his mercy, his grace and his continued um, work in our lives. So Paul was trying to show the church that that mark of circumcision was not the mark of a Christian. The mark of a Christian was worshipping God in spirit and truth, exalting and glorifying Jesus because of who he is and what he has done and what only he can do, and having no confidence whatsoever in the flesh. None at all. Paul was saying his goal now was to know Christ and to experience his resurrection. He goes into great detail then about drawing the distinction between self-righteousness and the righteousness that comes through Christ. This is when he goes into his lineage, the zeal that he had, um, what he has done very sincerely, how he sought to live a righteous life. He was basically saying, look, you want to see what human effort is required to be righteous? Look no further. Look at my life. No one to this point could boast more than I. And then, of course, he goes on to say, but that's all rubbish. And we know the word for that is... Um, cow pies those farmers and people who in the country know so good deeds cannot help us get into heaven and bad deeds don't necessarily stop us either and a few of you are saying what well I worked for years in the justice system I met many people who did bad deeds they even did bad deeds after they were Christians but they repented they relied on, their, on the righteousness that was won for them through Christ Jesus. They repented and believed on Christ and believed in salvation and believed in his forgiveness. And through encouragement, through coaching, through mentoring, through reading the word, they began to mature again. So we all, even after we're saved, do some bad things. I'm not saying you go out and murder someone. I don't think so. Um, but, you know, we all do. We all don't live the best life. But that doesn't stop us from living the life that we can live in Christ. Well, it can draw us back, but it doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. We have the grace and the mercy of God if we rely on what he has done because there is nothing I can do in myself that can win that back except repent. Once I repent then I, I can continue walking in my life with God. 
there's an inherent danger in preaching, what I've just said there, because at first glance it might appear like, oh, great. James is saying, when you're born again, I don't really need to do much else now. I just need to wait, live out my life until I get on that great stairway to heaven. And another more severe reaction could be, well, it doesn't matter how I live. Since I'm saved, I can go out and do what I want. And Paul is not saying that. He instructs us, if you read on through the rest of chapter 3, he instructs us to live according to the light that we've received. And just something about that light. I, my wife Angela bought some torches. We had a power fader. And um, she had torches and they, they were glow-in-the-dark torches. So you could see where they were even if, you know, the lights were out. Well, we had the power failure and I couldn't find the torch. It was not glowing in the dark. And then I found out that if you want one of those fluorescent torches to glow in the dark, you've actually got to expose it to the light. And then it holds that. And if you... If you do that and it glows in the dark, you can see the torch, you can turn it on. If you don't expose it to the light regularly, guess what? It stops glowing. And I reckon that's what Paul's saying to us as well. If we want to be the light, if we want to shine the light, we've got to be in the light, right? And if we want to share that light, we've got to stay in the light. Otherwise, the light begins to go out. And I dare say that's probably, you know, well, I can only speak for myself and say there are many times when I have not stayed in the light and the light has not shone. But when I go back into the light, the light of the word, the word of God, relying on what he has done for my salvation and him alone, then the light comes back on and I have something to share. And you know what's really amazing? The joy comes back. I become happier, I become more joyful. The joy of knowing what Jesus has done for me. So Paul corrected those wrong assumptions through the rest of chapter 3 and he, he instructs us that we need to live according to the light that we've received. You know, earlier we read there, he had an enormous ambition to be righteous and he was determined to get there. Now that he knows Christ... He's actually still as ambitious and even more determined. But it's just that he knows the truth now of how to get there. Previously, it was through the law and man-made rules. Now it's through an intimate, experiential relationship that, not only, that shares the joy. And this is where Paul now makes more sense of the verse that I had avoided for so many years where he talks about the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. And, you know, our souls resist that thought. You know, we have a soul, we live in a body. Our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions. And we're, we're led and guided by the Holy Spirit that we receive in salvation. But, you know, what's Paul really getting at there? And he's saying, uh, he talks about the fellowship of his suffering and uh, being conformed to the death well, obviously, he can't and we can't go to the cross to pay for our sins. So what did he mean? Well, there's a song we used to sing and it reminded me of, 
of this song. Um, you might recall the words. One of the, one of the phrases in it is, break my heart for what breaks yours. There's no shortcut to resurrection power. To understand this, we need to ask the question, really, what did Jesus go through in his death? He went through loneliness. He went through uh, a real separation, a rejection, an anguish of carrying the weight of the sin of others, of yours and my sin. Well, Paul can't carry that. You and I can't carry that. So what's he talking about when we share in that suffering? Because we don't let go of our souls easily. We don't let go of our flesh easily. We've got a vested interest. It craves things. Our mind craves things. And what Paul's really saying here is we've got to let go of the flesh. We've got to stay focused in the word, in the power of God's resurrection, in his righteousness, and trusting and relying in him alone for that. And that is joy. We have a vested interest in our own existence, don't we? And, you know, Jesus went willingly, though, and emptied himself. The more we die to ourselves, then the more we know. And this is the real crux of it, I guess, is as we die to ourselves, as we rely on the righteousness that Jesus has won for us and that alone, um, then the more we can grow in our knowledge and our understanding of what the power of the resurrection is. And that's when we can rejoice. You know, the world, they acknowledge, if they acknowledge Jesus at all, uh, it's really a simple sort of simplistic understanding that, well, yeah, look, I believe there was a guy called Jesus and, and he lived a good life, so it's a good example. I try and imitate him uh, and we just do the best that we can. But there's no real cost and Paul's focus and challenge to us was on dying to ourself and focusing on Jesus. And he says, even though righteousness was given, I didn't say I've arrived. I'm on the right road, Paul says. I'm on the journey, but I die daily. And that's when he's talking about the, you know, the death of Jesus and sharing in the suffering. In a sense, it's, a, it's the separation from the world. It's the dedication to, to Jesus and what he's done for us and living the righteous life that he's given us. So when Jesus got hold of Paul, he had a purpose for him. And when he got hold of us, he had a purpose for us as well. It wasn't just so we could go to heaven. He's got something for each and every one of us right now, regardless of our age and stage of life. So the gospel really is a privilege that we share in all of our lives. You know, we are, we are such a privileged generation, regardless of, of the age. We're a bridge between the privileged and the entitled. In the Amplified Version, that verse 8, I'll just read it from that. But more than that... I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. So I guess in summing up we could say this, that we're actually incapable of saving ourselves. We know this, we understand it. Why is it then that sometimes we, after we've saved and as we progress in life, 
Man, many people think that we've got to continue and go back to do something to earn that salvation or to keep it. Paul tells us that we're saved so that we may know Jesus intimately. By the Holy Spirit, that intimate knowledge is available to each and every one of us. There was nothing in the first place we could do to save ourselves. No rituals, no habits, there's nothing that puts a credit on the balance sheet towards earning salvation. And the only way to maintain and grow in righteousness is to continue to rely on Jesus. Stay in the word. Stay in the light. Understand like Paul that this is a journey and we haven't arrived yet. Our approach to righteousness needs to be exactly what it was when we got saved. We are totally dependent on Jesus and the sacrifice that he paid way back then and to this day. I think um, one of the weapons that the enemy uses against us, and I, you know, I see this as I talk with people, as I counsel with people, um, over years, uh, guilt, regret... We lose sight of that, the joy of that, you know, those, those first days, the joy of salvation. We get bogged down with things and then we, we start kind of doing things. And, and it's good to be doing things, but we need to be doing the right things. We, we think then, oh, well, I need to just go back and do this. I need to go back and do this. And yes, I might need to, but the first thing I need to do is go back to understanding what happened when I first got saved. I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and in him alone and in nothing else alone in my life, I relied on that. And that's where my prayer then can be, Father, I come to you. I thank you for your mercy, for your grace. I repent. I've got so many regrets, so many things that I've done wrong, so many things I've walked away from, but Lord, you know I love you and I'm relying on you again for that salvation that you won for me at the cross of, of Calvary and relying on that and then just getting back into the word and building myself up again and giving thanks, giving praise. I know for me that's just been the only thing. There's been many times when I've neglected the word and, and I've gotten lazy uh, and, you know, I haven't been as joyful as I should be. And uh, it's only when I go back to the word and when I repent and, uh, and ask God to forgive me and remind myself. And as Paul said, this is really good that I'm actually reminding you of this. It's for your own sake. And I take that on board for me. It's good to be reminded of this, as he was telling the church at Philippi. And there's a, another scripture in, in uh, Colossians, which I won't put up, but it's one that I love. If you ever feel like your prayer life is a little bit slow or you're not sure what to pray or how to pray... Um, a really good thing to do, if I can recommend, is go through Paul's letters and look at the prayers that he prayed. They're really simple, they're really practical and they're really relevant. There's one in Colossians that really struck me a few weeks back uh, where he said, uh, I pray, we, you know, they, and he, always, he says constantly, we pray fervently, we pray constantly for you. One of the things he prayed for was, that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. 
And really, that's what we can rely on. We need the Holy Spirit. But this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Philippi. It's a prayer that I pray for each and every one of us, that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Some, some translations say spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. But that's the only way that we can get it, by the power of the Holy Spirit of what Jesus, because of what Jesus has done and the promise that he gave us that he would send the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, the way it kind of works is I pray the Holy Spirit is living in me. The word tells me that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and quickens my mortal body. I can have confidence in that. And so when I pray, my mind then is getting information. It's getting information from what the world is saying, what the circumstances are saying, how I'm feeling, but it's also then getting information from the Word of God. And it's like the Holy Spirit is the activator. It takes hold of that Word, speaks into my heart, and if I'm willing to say, yes, Lord, I prefer to believe you than what the world is saying, then it starts to energise me. I can receive that as a promise from God and I can live on it, I can rely on it. So that's what Paul is really trying to tell us. Jesus is the only way, the only one I can rely on for my salvation and he's given us a way to continue to live and to grow and to mature and the more that we live in the light, the more we understand the power of his resurrection. Amen. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As we prayed at the beginning, Lord, I just ask that uh, even if it's just one thing that we take on board, that we take into this week and that we lay hold of for our own life or for the benefit of someone else. But we give you thanks for the fact that you have saved us, you have delivered us, you have cleansed us, you have set us free. We rejoice and we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.